Welcome to Tea Time with Mary. I'm your host, Mary Jolkowski. I'm a former bikini fitness model turned self-love advocate. And this is the podcast that'll inspire you to love yourself. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Tea Time with Mary. Today, I have a very special guest and my dear friend, Meg Roscoe. Meg Roscoe is at Nutmeg and Honeybee on social media. You may have seen her either on my page or maybe you follow her because she is amazing. And Meg, you probably have the most beautiful Instagram account I've ever seen. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you. I'm so excited to be chatting with you today. It's always just a beautiful time with you and I feel so comfortable with you even after just knowing each other for a short time and I think those relationships oh. are magic seriously it was like meant to be with us it really was. because yeah I'll tell you guys how we met but real quick I want to mention you're an embroidery artist and you also teach embroidery art workshops right yes I do yep and you also are a plant-based baker, and this is kind of sort of how we met because you baked cupcakes for me and our San Diego retreat sisters at my San Diego self-love retreat last October. And your work, like whether it's embroidery or baking, it's all so beautiful. Like, how do you do it? <laughs> Thank you. I mean, it, it's one of those things where it's like half I just feel like has always been in me and then half has just been a lot of practice and putting in the work too. Um, but I don't know, there's something about just creating and crafting. I've always sort of loved. And so for me to just spend the time to practice and, um, get good at it, um, has felt really, really awesome. But I do remember making your cupcakes for the retreat (laughs) and they're some of my favorites too, because I had tested out this new, um, frosting and it was a coconut whipped cream and mm-hmm. so easy to make but it's so so delicious and when I found it I was like okay I need to make this on every cake and cupcake <laughs> oh my god I remember it and I remember tasting like a little bit of like extra love sprinkled in yeah. like how do you do it you just you put this kind compassionate pure energy into everything we do um and a backstory besides the San Diego retreat, we also met in person. The only two times we've met in person was that. And oh my God, do you remember you walked into the door? <laughs> okay, let me, I'll, I'll just like fill our audience in. So Meg and I met on Instagram. I don't know how we started following each other, but I'm so glad we did. And I remember being in bed with my little sister and I showed her your account and she was obsessed because she's like super artsy as well. And we started like chatting over DMs. And then I asked you to make cupcakes for the San Diego retreat since you live in San Diego. But then I totally forgot about it. And so Meg <laughs> Meg just walks through the door. And I think I texted you somewhere in the high of retreat hosting. I texted you saying like the front door's open, just pop in. And you did, which was amazing because I was so surprised and it was the best thing ever. Cupcake surprise. They're always Cupcake surprise. surprise. Like, talk about an angel. (laughs) You're so sweet. I remember, yeah, I remember being so excited to sort of walk into, not only to meet you, but also to be in the environment of a retreat because I had been following you and really had seen that you loved being in those spaces with other women. And so I was almost selfishly like, oh, I get to check this out and see what it feels like. 
Um, but I mean, once I met you too, I was like, okay, have we known each other for years and years and years? You have Seriously. To- Seriously. Why is it that with some people you just feel like instantly connected? It's crazy. I think that it's just, I don't know, something, there's a little bit, a little scoop of magic involved, I think. 100%. So tell me about like your journey. I, you told me a little bit at the retreat. And yeah. then the second time we met was when I was at your TNF chat event in yeah. San Diego. Yeah. And we did a little interview, but you interviewed me. And I remember you talking and being like, I want to interview her. I can't wait for the day. So today's the day. <laughs> <laughs> today's the day. I get to tell, tell me the full story. Yeah. So I, it's always hard for me to just kind of figure out where to start. Um, but I will sort of go back to my childhood where I was definitely a shy kid, very, very shy. I like to think that I was the observer in life and that I definitely really loved to be a part of conversations, but I never felt that I needed to necessarily speak and share, but I definitely (laughs) was reserved and probably a little socially anxious too as a kid. And um, for me, the only way I could really express myself and voice some of the things that I was going through or feeling was through creating and specifically sort of that crafting, artsy, arts and crafts um, kind of theme to my life. So I would spend hours and hours at Michael's, the craft store, Joanne's, or taking uh, art classes in the summer. And it's definitely something that um, my family really inspired me to do. I definitely wouldn't have been able to do it without them. Um, But I just say that because my whole sort of theme to what I'm doing now is creativity because um, it's still a way for me to sort of express myself and um, tell my story. But then, you know, high school came around and I just kind of was feeling lost. I didn't know, I didn't know who I was, which sounds so kind of cliche, but at the time you're just trying to figure it out and you often lose certain elements of um, what it is that you loved as a kid. So I went through a few things high school and even some of college where I wasn't creating and I wasn't crafting and I was trying to play sports and do the musical and I was just testing out so many things but nothing felt like it was sticking and I just felt like I was struggling and then I definitely went through some bouts of depression and then it was what I call the universal bitch slap which (laughs) is basically when the (laughs) your life and that happened for me in 2014, the summer of 2014, my older brother, Brendan, he died in a car crash. He had been suffering from depression himself. And uh, one night he had gotten in the car when he had been drinking and he crashed. And it was sort of in that moment where, yes, it was painful and the grief was coming in, but it was also this weird feeling of um, sort of like, I, I felt so connected to him still and something greater than me because I had never been religious or spiritual. And like, I mean, in that moment when I found out he died, it was like instant spiritual upheaval of my life where all of a mm-hmm. sudden I was sort of like, oh my gosh, life is so much bigger than what I could have ever imagined. And then that journey kind of really took off. It's sort of like, the exponential um, line, if you will, in a line graph. Mm-hmm. 
Um, and, and I was still struggling to express myself and express my grief. And I kind of tapped back into that struggle that I felt as a kid where I couldn't talk about my feelings. I couldn't share it with other people. Um, and so I was like, what can I do that a will sort of help me take my mind off of things and B will allow me to sort of express myself and to mm-hmm. move through my emotions. I don't think I knew it at the time. That's exactly what I was doing. But now looking back, I was creating to, um, move through some of these heavier emotions and, um, and I started making cookies and it seems so simple, but I remember I remember it being a really wonderful period in my t- in my life, and I know that sounds kind of crazy, right? You just go through this huge process of grief, and a few months later, I was um, I was baking cookies, and I was really happy because for one moment in my life, I didn't have any pressure on me. And now, mm. I mean, I'm grateful that you know I didn't have to have a job at the time. I got to drop out of school. I was just living at home, but I was just in this space of life where I didn't, I didn't care about what job I was going to get. I didn't care about my future and not in a pessimistic way, just in a really, I was really present and not to say I wasn't feeling sad or, uh, or grieving, but I was really present. And as someone who tends to put a lot of pressure on myself, um, that was a really peaceful way of being too. And so I started this cookie business, all that time. I started this cookie business in 2014. And basically what I was just doing is I was decorating these sugar cookies and I was having so much fun creating new designs. I would make um, plant cookies and I would make cookies for weddings and I would make cookies for baby showers and I would start just giving them to my neighbors. I started sending them to companies that I thought were super cool and it just started to grow. And a few months later, I hopped onto Instagram just to have a portfolio for my cookies and my art. Mm-hmm. And then um, and then I just kind of was in the thick of cookie baking. I was going to school, but I <laughs> was over school. I just wanted to be a baker. Mm-hmm. And, and I did that for about four to five years. And through that is when I started making cakes and I started doing French macarons and um, <laughs> And then I got burnt out from baking and I didn't even realize that um, I could get burnt out from something that I loved so much. And I think that's a theme of what I talk about now is that we're constantly changing as people and the things that we once loved is going to look different and it's okay to sort of um, grieve our old versions of ourselves. And I definitely grieved that um, cookie Meg. Um, <laughs> But that being said, I, um, at the same time, I was sort of grieving that I moved to California to start just a new life. And, um, and when I was moving out here and taking a break with baking is when I, um, found embroidery and it was another way for me to express myself and really create from a heart space. And I think embroidery has taught me so much more about myself in that, I learned so much about patience and harmony within a hoop and playing with textures and having no plan and just having a lot of freedom with creating. And I was starting to learn all these messages and I really wanted to share that with other people. And so that's sort of when I started um, teaching the workshops. And so when you come to a workshop, you definitely learn the skills of an embroidery hoop. But I hope 
that people come away from a workshop also having like a deeper connect a connection to themselves and how they create as well. Mm. And that was kind of a really long, <laughs> a long story about me, but it's essentially has gotten me um, to a place where I've accumulated some members, some audience members <laughs> on mm-hmm. um, my Instagram. And so I have this audience and I feel, um, I do kind of feel this sense of, um, I don't want to say duty, but I just feel like I want to be real, authentic and genuine with people. And when it comes to the creation process, especially because when you do look at my feed, it's, you know, pretty pictures, but I just want to make sure that you also see the human being behind there who is struggling sometimes and who is doesn't have all the answers, but is trying to just show up for themselves and for others. And, um, and yeah, that's my whole thing is sort of creativity and wellness and how we can um, really express ourselves, live our best lives just through, through making and creating. And it doesn't have to be good or bad. It can just, it can just be. Oh, Meg, that is just so beautiful. Like your voice is beautiful. Your storytelling is beautiful. Everything about your journey is just so like, inspiring but when you speak like I feel it at a soul level like deep in my core it's just you're a phenomenal storyteller by the way I don't know if you know that about you thank you I definitely it's sometimes I feel like I ramble uh, which is my own you know self-criticism too so I really do appreciate that thank you you know what the beauty is about podcasts because I feel like I ramble too and podcasts like let me embrace the rambling (laughs) so that's what we want that's what we're here for we're here for you to just speak from the heart. And I wanted to follow up and ask you, do you feel like your pursuit of creativity and revisiting like the artsy side of you um, after what happened to your, to your brother, do you feel like that in a sense healed you or saved you in some way? Or what was the like feeling behind it? Yeah, no, that's a great question. I definitely, I remember when he died and I was 19 at the time. So it was just a complicating time in my life. And a lot of my friends, you know, were so young. Nobody had really experienced death in that way yet. Um, And so I remember people would often say, you know, time heals, time heals. And that just didn't sit with me because I think intrinsically I knew that it's not the time that heals. We heal ourselves as we move through time. And so I knew it was sort of up to me to um, take accountability for what I was going through, which I know sounds kind of crazy, especially when you're going through, you know, a lot of grief. But I knew that um, I couldn't, I could sort of go in two different directions. Like I could almost visualize these two paths, one where like I started drinking and going out and partying, just going crazy. But there's this other path where I just was sort of healing and healing looked like to me um, that creating and the creative element. And I think that once I decided to just embrace being in a space of kind of just trust to trusting that I was curious about cookies for a reason, that there was something mm-hmm. in it that was going to really help me and was going to add a new layer of value to my life. And, um, of course, like I said, too, in the moment, you don't necessarily have these deep philosophical thoughts. You're sort of just mm-hmm. going with the flow. Um, but looking back on it, I do think in some way 
specifically the cookies, I could really look at that as being part of my healing journey for sure. But I definitely think that we are, we are the healers and whatever, whatever we choose to do that is um, going to be beneficial for our soul is healing. And so, you know, the, the, yeah, the idea that time heals us, it's more that we heal ourselves as we move through time. And that gives us, that gives us the power and that can be overwhelming, but it can also be really um, enlightening too, to, to remind ourselves that it all starts within. Um, And that's been a journey because it definitely didn't happen right away that I was feeling all of that, but through working through grief and all of the different stages that it brings up, I've gotten to a place where I'm like, oh, now I understand. And it all sort of makes sense and fits into this sort of puzzle. Mm-hmm. Can Please don't answer like anything you don't want to talk about, but I am very, I don't know if it's fortunate is the right word, but I feel like I'm at this age in my life where I haven't yet experienced like my parents getting old or um, anything disastrous happening. Um, And today I was just, just before we got on here, I was walking my dog and he's like really old. Like he's like over 16 years old. And even that I was like, I just don't have any experience. And it frustrates me that nobody prepares you for something like that. um, Because it's just not, it's not easy. It's not comfortable to talk about. I think there are two things that humans are never prepared for. It's like childbirth and death. Um, Like men, women alike, like nobody prepares us for those two things, like what that looks like, what the process is and everything. What was like, what was grieving like? Like what, what? Like, wow. Yeah, no, that's such a great question. And I think, um, I think a lot of people feel that sort of that uncertainty of it all, but that deep, deep fear of it all too. And I definitely mm-hmm. had that fear for sure. I mean, I it's it's really interesting too, because I before my brother died, he was really he was really struggling. And he was struggling with depression, but also addiction. And he was on pills and drinking and he was just very, very lost. And so I was so worried about him. Like there was this mm. constant fear that something bad was going to happen. And as crazy as it sounds, when that fear does actually happen and comes to fruition, you're and you realize like, oh my gosh, I'm still here. I'm still living and breathing and I still have to do this. It's just this, it's a weird feeling because you're like, okay, my deepest fear has come true. Now what? And I'm still here. Mm-hmm. And so I think grief for me was really just, um, was really just being in a state of um, acceptance. And I know that's, you know, there's stages of grief and that's the last stage. And let me tell you, that was sort of my first stage. Like I went through acceptance first because I just, me and my brother, he was definitely the closest, we, we were the closest in our family. We had a special bond, which definitely was not always there. I mean, we went through periods where, where we did not like each other. I mean, just the growing pains of sort of sibling mm-hmm. life. But, um, but I think I, I also felt the sense of like, oh, he's at peace now. Mm-hmm. He was struggling much and now he's at peace. And now it's my job to become peaceful and be enter that state of peace. And um, I definitely had a lot of spiritual experiences too, where he came to me in my dream and he just mm-hmm. held my hand 
looked me in the eye and said, I'm okay, Meg. And I felt so blessed and so lucky to have had that gift because it was a gift because I was able to still still be sad, still grieve memories, but I didn't necessarily grieve him as a person because he was still a part of me and a part of my life. Yeah. So the the sadness just came from the memory of him. Um, and and even now, like I'll have I'll have these memories where I don't even remember. They'll just come out of nowhere and I'm like, whoa, that's so mm-hmm. beautiful to still have pieces of him almost come back to me like that. But I would say um this this idea of the grief was sort of I started with the acceptance and then and I actually didn't have any anger towards him. I think my anger actually showed up towards my parents, towards myself. Like I definitely felt anger come in and this is, you know, he had died almost six years ago. So Mm -hmm. I still working through different layers of it, but um, there was, you know, depression, anger, denial. Um, So you move through the stages and it's not linear and you can revisit them. But I think what I didn't realize about grief is that it can show up in all areas of your life. Meaning I've, definitely had um, challenging relationships with my parents after all of this happened. And um, you just, you aren't really, you just don't know how it's going to shift all areas of your life. You just, you just see this concrete thing that is gone, but it shifts everything. Mm. And I think that is what can be really challenging about grief. Is there like um, anyone you went to or books you read or tools that were very critical for you or did you just just kind of go with the flow on your own as it came up that's a good question too I definitely I had been going to therapy right before he died and so I was grateful to have sort of a therapist right on call Mm -hmm. Um, and she actually had lost her brother too so there was a deep bond between us and um she was really helpful to just to just have someone to talk to that is not your family because obviously your family is grieving too. And my friends, like I said, I was 19. Nobody, I don't think anybody really knew how to support me, which is very understandable. Um, and so I was just looking for support and I definitely found it through, um, through therapy. Um, and then, and then I kind of went through like a lull where I was doing cookies and I was in, college and I was feeling like okay but I think the next wave of sort of the grieving process came maybe three or four years after and you know what triggered it was actually an Mm. (laughs) ex-boyfriend sometimes you just don't know what's going to trigger your your stuff and your Mm -hmm. grief and I remember we had a really rough breakup and that sense of sort of people leaving and Mm -hmm. the abandonment can really trigger um trigger your grief too and so through then through that experience, I um, started looking into self-help books and started getting down to the core of grief and trauma. And um, I remember, I'm trying to think some of the books that I've loved. I mean, I love The Power of Now, tapping uh, into being yes. present. But I feel like that really changed my life in a positive way. And I stopped focusing on the past as much and the future because that was another thing about grief you feel so helpless by your past that you just kind of catapult yourself into the future. So 
I definitely romanticized about meeting my husband and having kids and what my career would look like almost to sort of escape the present moment. Mm -hmm. So definitely reading the power of now, getting back into that present moment, um, although can be painful because it can definitely bring up stuff. It was really helpful to, um, to start healing some more of that grief and some more of those layers. And, and I mean, I'm still currently in therapy. I love, love me some therapy, love talking. Um, and, um, yeah. And then I think there has been a lot of periods where it's just, I'm curious about something and I was doing yoga for a while and walking meditations and just, I start to listen to my intuition and where I'm curious um, what I'm curious about. And hopefully that's going to lead me to some more healing too. Yeah. Oh my gosh. It's so funny. You bring up the power of now because Eckhart Tolle was probably one of the first authors that I really got into in the, um, not even like the self-help, but he's more on the spiritual side of self-help. And I read a new earth and then the power of now, and it was just life changing, life changing. It really is. I, there's something about, I think it just resonates with you on a deep, deep level where everything he's saying, you understand and you're just like, oh, it's that easy, <laughs> but it's yeah. not. Oh yeah. yeah. That book is definitely a powerful place, especially to start. if You have no idea where you want to start in your own healing journey. Yeah, for sure. And I saw him speak in person um, and he's such a funny dude. <laughs> Oh my gosh. <laughs> He's such a funny dude and he does make everything that simple. And it like that's I guess that's kind of the beauty of of him is because it's like it's the simplicity of like be present. Like yeah. be present. You don't need the thing. You don't need the the materialistic stuff. You don't need to do something to change. You just just be. And it was really profound in a world that keeps telling us to like, go, 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 hustle, hustle, hustle. Yes. Get better, I, faster. Yep. I totally, I, yep, sinks right into my soul, that whole idea of, um, yeah, being in a state of peace and calm and um, the external world is just a mirror to your internal world. Mm-hmm. Always, always. Yeah. Um, so funny. Yesterday, I was heading to a breathwork workshop, which I told you about, <laughs> and I was my one of my friends invited me, and he we met in Toastmasters, like our public speaking club, and I was like putting on a jacket, and I was at my mom's house, and she's like, "Oh, like you're getting so dressed up, blah blah blah," and I was like, "For what?" And it's like totally not like that. And I remember she was like, mm -hmm, yeah, I just, I'm just observing. I'm just pointing out, like, why are you getting so dressed up? And I'm literally like in sweatpants, like <laughs> not dressed up at all. And I was like, mom, um, this is a projection. <laughs> <laughs> and it was so funny. She like totally rolled her eyes. And I'm like, she's the one who got me into like Eckhart Tolle and this whole world in the first place. So it was just so funny, but it's true. Like everything is a projection of, how we feel on the inside and every person or thing or situation that comes into our lives is like there for such a profound, deep reason. Um, and I also, you know, I don't like to go too deep into that because then I start like hyper analyzing everything. But I think it's important to just like take note, especially when things are hard. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's awesome too, to give yourself the grace to not 
easily overthink everything too. I always try to, you know, it's good to have your analytical mind on every once in a while, but I try to, I try to drop down into my heart space as often as I can because it just feels, to me, it feels more peaceful there. Um, Mind seems a little crazy and chaotic. (laughs) Oh yeah, same. Yeah. I'm literally a professional overthinker. I wish there was like an Olympic sport for overthinking because I swear I would win that shit and I would get like my own TV show. <laughs> me too. Yep. Like yep. seriously, do you have any tips? Like what's helped you? Like help me. <laughs> yeah. No, that's, I think that's such a, a great um, conversation to have because it can be really, really tricky. And I think, um, you know, what has actually helped me is, is sort of like what we were talking about. It's having the awareness of it. And instead of saying, oh my gosh, I'm so wrong for having all this, I actually just allow myself sometimes to just overthink. Maybe I'll just like be in bed. I can't sleep. I'm just like, you know what? Here we go. Buckle up. Let's go for this ride. Because I find that when I allow myself to just be in it, I I come out of it a lot quicker as opposed because then you add the element of like the guilt and shame that comes from having the awareness of it, but feeling really guilty that you're doing it, but still doing it. And so that's sort of step one is just try to take away the, the shame of having those thoughts. And then it is implementing some kind of, for me at least, some kind of um, mindfulness practice, which I also know how, I guess, triggering that word can be meditation, mindfulness, especially when you're going through tough times. You're just like, oh, just go meditate, just be mindful, can be so, <laughs> can be so triggering if you're not giving people like actual um, steps to take. And so something that I love to do to just quiet my mind is really go out for a walk in nature. Granted, I live in San Diego, so that can pretty much happen at all times throughout the day. Um, But for me, when I'm able to connect to something outside of myself, um, i.e. nature, I'm able to um, get out of my head a little bit. And I actually love listening to music too. And so sometimes that just puts me into like a really deep, peaceful state. Um, But I think it is sort of figuring out what works for you because some people I'm sure sitting down for a 20 minute meditation really works well. But for me, I like to, I like a little bit of movement. And um, so walking helps me. And then embroidery is a meditation and a mindfulness activity for me. And I tend to be so invested in what I'm doing that I only have time to think. And um, I always say I love teaching workshops because for three hours I'm so present that I don't even want to check my phone. And I'm like, I need to create more of those moments where you're just so Mm -hmm. in the flow that you don't have time to check your phone. You don't have time to overthink. Um, But of course, that's like a tricky thing too. It's double-edged sword because the more you're doing, 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 you can get addicted to that too. And you do need to practice rest and solitude and the state of being. Um, So it's just good to know that you have these certain certain things you can pull out that will help you sort of. Yeah. Yeah. I love, I love this like mantra I've always employed as like when in doubt, focus out. Mm -hmm. So whenever I find myself being too in my head, like I just shift that. That's why retreats are powerful for me for that exact same reason is because I'm so there for a group of a dozen plus people um, that I really cannot think about myself. I'm just there to serve. And there's something so powerful about serving just from just to serve, like just because whether it's like 
volunteering or, you know, having some kind of work or career path that lets you constantly be in service of others. Or like you said, like stepping outside in nature, like that's focusing out and outside of us. It's so powerful. I totally agree with you. I was just having this conversation um, with some friends last week where we were talking about self-care and sometimes we get almost so wrapped up into our self-care journeys. Mm -hmm. It is healthy to focus outward and to shift into service work because that is, um, it just creates a deeper, a deeper experience with yourself and others too, because, um, you know, too much of the internal can just get chaotic on itself. Oh, for sure. For sure. Uh, you know how I mentioned, like I went to the breath work class last night. Um, so it took quite the toll on my body and I was feeling nauseous all day. I slept till noon. Like today's like a write off. (laughs) Um, because it just, it was, it was like emotionally, um, just like it was this combination of like purging and then receiving so much love. And it, it was super profound, but I won't get into it. But, um, I called to reschedule one of my appointments. I had like a, a nail appointment and they told me that if I cancel it, it'll be a $25 charge and I don't want to pay $25. So I showed up anyways. And the craziest thing happened. So actually, my sister and I were spending the day together and we spent about an hour and a half at Michael's. So (laughs) yeah, we spent some time at Michael's like doing picking out art stuff because we both go to art classes, which was one of my ways to be present and to spend two hours a week with myself is just taking art lessons and painting. Um, and after Michael's, I brought her to, to the appointment. And I remember at, at Michael's, I was looking for some inspiration on what my next project is going to be. And I was super bitter about like having to, like needing to go to the appointment because it's like the last thing I wanted to do and to drag my sister and blah, blah, blah. So I like go into the bathroom and I see this painting that's literally exactly what I wanted to paint, like exactly what I was looking for on Pinterest, but I couldn't find it. Wow. And so I thought that was like so serendipitous. And then the appointment was so good. And I remember telling the lady, I'm like, thanks for like dragging me out of bed because I think we can all agree that, you know, when in doubt, focus out isn't just about like serving others at the expense of yourself. It's about just like, like, like get up, get dressed, like go outside, smile at a stranger, say something kind, you know, pick up a iced tea and like, you know, kind of take that initiative to like enjoy your day even when you don't feel like it. Yeah. I love, I mean, I love that story so much because it's also reminding people that it doesn't have to be this huge act of service and it doesn't have to be so grand. It can be the simple moments. And in fact, I think the simple moments always usher in um, the greatest of change and new experiences. And these small shifts can really just, help you feel better and feel more yourself because I think at our deepest core humans love to be in community with others. And I think mm-hmm. we're this period of internal work, work and self-care only so that we can show up for our communities. Yeah. I think there is that goal is to have those boundaries. So you know exactly what you need and how to set boundaries so that you can be in community with others. Oh, yeah. I just read an article this morning about how the nuclear family really was like a byproduct of like industrialization and how it's like never been a natural thing to live so far apart from each other to 
you know, not see people like your, your family and friends and everybody in your community on the daily, not to like go over and ask for sugar. Like who comes over and asks for sugar anymore, right? We're like so independent and it comes with a cost of this like loneliness and isolation and being so wrapped up in our head and it, it can be really toxic. And I think right now more than ever, we really need to make that conscious effort to reconnect to the community, like whatever that looks like for you. I could not agree more with you. And I think I'm starting to implement that more into my um, work life. You know, I think especially for women, we have sort of bombarded with this message that A, you have to hustle and B, you have to do it alone. You have to rise to the top and create your empire alone. And that's just not something that I want to do. I want to be in collaboration with others. I want to take on projects with people and and add value with all of our gifts and talents. And I don't need to have these solo projects all the time. I, I would so much rather get to share the experience with others. And, and also, you know, I have my own weaknesses and I would love to just be in a state of harmony with others where like our strengths are playing on each other's weaknesses and vice versa. And it just seems that this collaboration is starting to grow a little bit more, but I'm just so excited for when we just have these projects and it's like, we're all working together on them and we're all so excited to succeed together and, um, and not to feel like we have to do it all alone. I mean, there's, there's definitely great power in knowing that you can achieve things alone. But I just think once you get to that space, then you're like, all right, well, I know I can do it, but I would so much mm-hmm. rather do it with others. Yeah, for sure. I think I think it's really glamorized. Like, what's that song that's like, I'm so independent? Like, yeah, I mean, yeah. it's really great to know that you can be independent if shit hits the fan. But it's not like, just because you did it alone, like doesn't give you an extra you know, gold star. And there's this thing like women, I think have such a hard time receiving help, like receiving support and like, let someone help you like let somebody pay for dinner, let somebody pick you up. You know, I have a huge thing about my friends picking me up because I always feel like it's out of their way. (laughs) But yeah, true. It's that it's the conditioning of, um, you know, feeling like a a burden or whatever it is. And I think collective for sure but it also is sort of dependent on what you experienced in your family growing up too and that just sort of compounds um whether you know you're a people pleaser which I definitely am and work through um (laughs) same yeah so it's all of these things that I think it's so individual but also so collective too and that's why I think it's so awesome that we're having these conversations about it um yeah, so it's just it's fascin it's a fascinating time to be alive and I do love it, <laughs> even though it's um it can seem really challenging at times. Um I do think there's a lot of um growth happening and it's really cool. It is cool to watch. It is. It is a great time to be alive, seriously. I not to like go backwards, but I wanted to highlight something really profound that you said about letting yourself overthink. Oh yeah. yeah. Like like letting yourself overthink things. And it reminds me of a technique that I used to use back when I was doing some private coaching with people who were struggling with binge eating. Mm -hmm. And I remember being like, well, what if you just let yourself binge? 
And I did this with myself. I've done this with others. And I even posted on Instagram and got so many messages of people saying like, I heard your voice in my head saying, what if you just let yourself eat a lot of food and you didn't label it a binge and you didn't, you know, say that you failed and that you hate yourself and that you're so fat and ugly and horrible for doing this. What if you just saw it as, I just need to eat a lot of food right now and I'm going to let myself do it. And then suddenly it's like telling a kid no, right? Like as soon as you tell a kid yes, they're like, oh, well, I don't care that much anyways. (laughs) They just kind of lose interest. Um, And I never thought to apply that to my overthinking tendency of just being like, okay, like for the next 10 minutes, I'm going to overthink and I'm going to write out every minor or major thought that I'm having about this situation. Um, And I'm going to put like a little... Maybe, I don't know, if you do put a time limit on it or do you just let yourself just kind of like a combination of both. Um, yeah. Right now, it's probably helpful to have a little bit of a time limit and then you get to a point where you're like, okay, I, I need, to, I can stop now. Yeah. Seriously. No, it's, it's so good. It's such a good technique. Well, I mean, I love your example that you gave too and just from following you and having seeing that message from you. I've definitely implemented that in my own food journey and food struggle journey. And it works. It really does Mm -hmm. take away so much of the guilt and shame. You're not, it's almost like the guilt and the shame is what's sort of like feeding you. Oh yeah. Take a step back and you're observing it a little bit differently. And you're like, Oh, this is so much of the emotional stuff. And um, it's it's just so helpful to get rid of that component of it. And and I think once you start practicing it in one area of your life, it does trickle in to all mm-hmm. of these areas. You know, I, I'm trying to think of I just a lot. What happened recently in my life? Oh, sometimes if I'm driving and like I make a small error, and I'm like I just want to beat myself up so much. But I'm like, you know what? I need to let it go. I need to forgive myself. I need to forgive the people around me that might have been um, a byproduct of my mess up and move on. And luckily in the moment, everything was fine and it was easy to move on. And here we go. And so it's just implementing that forgiveness for yourself from making mistakes and messing up. And we're not perfect and we're never going to be perfect, but it's how we react in the moment. And, um, and it's a muscle too. It's building muscle. So, you know, it's not, it's not like something that just naturally comes to you. You build up to it and you have to keep working at it too. Um, but it's just, yeah, it's the inner self-talk and how we mm-hmm. talk to ourselves is definitely how we're going to treat others and talk to others. And it's if we can start getting rid of that guilt and shame and just taking accountability for when we mess up and mm-hmm. then moving on, I think yeah. it's so, so helpful for all of us. 100%. Our guest a couple weeks ago, Jessica, talked about meta emotions, which is how we feel about how we feel. So usually Mm -hmm. guilt and shame goes into that, right? So it's like a lot of the times we beat ourselves up for not just doing something, but thinking something or feeling something about what we just did, if that makes sense. Um, And it happens so much I see in the personal growth journey because now you're so aware of everything. Um, You're almost in a sense like hyper aware, but it it adds an extra layer of stress, like being stressed about being stressed. It's like me, I get anxiety about potentially getting anxiety (laughs) and it just freaks me out. And I realized that the anxiety never existed in the first place. I just, I, I just didn't have the 
I don't know, the, the will or the, I didn't take the time to like practice self-compassion yeah. before stepping into that place of guilt and shame and self beat up and yeah. that vicious cycle. And it's so real. It's so real. I, I struggle so much with, within like the spiritual community of like, Oh my gosh, I want to, I want to get all the things right. Cause you know, the perfectionist in mm-hmm. me too, like pass all the lessons and like get the A plus in school. And when I do do something that doesn't feel like it's right, I'm like, Oh shit. And then I remember <laughs> that the lessons don't stop. We're not getting to this end destination. We're going to learn forever and ever and ever. And I think that if you can get in that state of what we talked about with Eckhart Tolle, the being present, it's like each moment you can practice the gratitude for having made mistakes, knowing that it's going to come back around. And the next time you'll have a different awareness of it and you can try again. And um, I think it's thinking back into that state of being present and trying to um, yeah, give yourself grace in each moment is, is so helpful and truly the only the only way to live is in your present moment and you don't want to have these deeper feelings that of course if they come up move through them go through them don't necessarily negate them but um just keep working at it so that each of your present moments can be filled with a lot of um peace and joy yeah and like love for yourself yeah. speaking of perfectionism the event that I was so honored to be able to attend the event that you put on last November in San Diego it was all about overcoming perfectionism and we decorated cookies and made them not perfect I remember mine looked so bad it was so bad (laughs) but I had so much fun um tell me about like your journey your struggle and how you're dealing with perfectionism because I relate to that a lot I'm a professional overthinker a recovering perfectionist because I in my head I feel like I'll never be able to stop that and I also don't think I want to because it you know also kind of contributes to some of my strengths um and I'm definitely a um avid overthinker so those three things like I just feel like we really really connect on tell me about perfectionism yes i resonate with that so deeply um yeah perfectionism is is a weird thing because I feel like for the majority of my life childhood and um just early adulthood I just saw perfectionism as um a a good thing or something to strive for um and I think that was rooted not only in what we saw collectively in the media but also in my um nuclear family that um you know, getting the good grades and achieve what you achieve and how well you achieve it um, is something to look up to and add value, or at least that's how I saw it at the time. And then it wasn't until I really saw it come out in um, in ways that just did not feel good. And so perfectionism for me definitely comes out in body image and um and the control of wanting to have to look a certain way or control what I eat or how much I exercise, thinking that a perfect body is going to therefore give me love that I am yearning for, searching for, that I'm not giving to myself in that moment. Um, it's shown up in my Instagram feed. I mean, I, and I'm talking about this now, but I was just struggling with this the past few weeks was just 
you know, having the curated feed and the pictures to look a certain way. And um, these colors can't be right next to each other in my grid. And this <laughs> next to this one, like it's so, I can tell that it's so chaotic. And I'm sort of like in that moment, I kind of let myself just go a little crazy, like what we were talking about with overthinking. But then when I'm able to calm myself down and sort of look at what's happening, I'm like, okay, what is this? What is this showing up as in my internal reality? And so for me, I've been really resistant to change lately. And I've been um, a little bit scared of the unknown. And so I'm trying to control my Instagram feed and how perfect I want it to be. So I don't have to necessarily deal with some of my internal shit that's happening. Um, So perfectionism definitely shows up in, um, I would say, social media, my body image, and also how I was telling you sort of about wanting to like perfect my spiritual lessons and (laughs) all the time. And then if I do something that feels wrong, I'm like, ah, and um, I'm not going to, I'm not going to be deserving of the love that I want in my life or the job that I want. Like I, I immediately go to my self-worth when I'm in a state of kind of control and perfectionism. But I think what we talked about the event and my friend Jen, actually, she was the one who sort of enlightened me on this idea that we see perfectionism as either good or bad. What if we just kind of let it be as it is? Because you're right. There are some elements to perfectionism or like create wanting to create the best that you know yourself to be or to do um and to negate that isn't also fair to yourself too so it's it's becoming aware of things it's just getting in tune with am i operating from a space of this is going to help me and help others or am i operating from a space because i'm scared and i'm trying to control something or escape from something so i think being a recovering perfectionism is asking all of us to really just figure out why we're doing the things that we're doing. And if you can really sit with yourself and be like, well, I'm doing this because I know it's going to be helpful. I know it's going to give me a sense of fulfillment and joy, then by all means, make that beautiful cake or whatever it is. But if you're like, if it does feel like it's coming from a place of lack or fear, then that's just, that's a clue for you to go within and figure out and sort it out a little bit. And I know I'm phrasing it like it's so easy, but it's not. And it takes, it takes time to like get into that state of, is this leading me to love? Is this leading me to fear? And, um, and it's going to be a constant, constant thing. And I think for me to just, it, I'm not thinking it's going anywhere. And I'm not trying to get rid of it from myself. I'm just trying to learn more about it so that I can, um, you know, show up in the best way that I can for myself. Yeah, I totally resonate with that. And I like to see like everything as being on a spectrum Mm -hmm. and kind of on the like, I don't know, far left side, if you need a visual, like it's like the unhealthy side, the when we're coming from fear. Mm -hmm. Um, And then the far right is also like pretty unhealthy because if you that's if you take things extreme the other uh, the other way so it's also unhealthy and coming from fear and somewhere in the middle I mean like you're not going to be perfect but you're going to fall somewhere on the spectrum somewhere in the middle is kind of where we want to be and there's a fine line between like striving for excellence like you said in certain places where I want to serve my community I really want to improve I want to 
do my best. I know I'm capable of more. Or I want a, a challenge or I want to, you know, whatever that place is, but that's coming from like pure and genuine love and passion and curiosity for what you're capable of, then like, sure. Um, and there's also like that, you know, thing I talk about eating a salad. Like I, I think I, I spoke on a podcast last week and I said, you know, like I don't eat a whole pizza in the afternoon because I know that I have so much work to do and so much writing and a pizza isn't going to support me in that because I'm just going to want to go to bed. So there's a difference between like perfecting my food and like making a conscious choice about what's going to make me feel good and my body. And the latter never comes from, never feels like restrictive. Right. Um, and so, yeah, with perfectionism, I feel like the more I kind of acknowledge it and joke about it and I'm like, yeah, I'm a recovering perfectionist and I probably always will be like the more like content I am with it and the less it rules my life. I love that. I think that's so, I love how you have a playful attitude towards it too, because I think that is just so helpful. And because you do have this community, I know it's resonating with so many people and to see somebody doing it walking the walk is it just feels really supportive and i know um i know just when we had that chat together and being in a room with other women who identified as being perfectionists or recovering perfectionists it was really really helpful to know that we're not alone and it doesn't have to be so intense and it can actually be kind of playful and fun and silly and yeah takes away a lot of the um extremism of it all yeah, for sure. And I think we all like, I can't think of a single human on this earth that doesn't feel perfectionistic about some part of their life, like something that they really attach to the result. And I guess that's what a lot of perfectionism is. It's not, it's like being attached to the result instead of doing things for the sake of doing them. Um, and so everybody kind of has their thing and it's fine. Like we all have our thing. Like I have many things. <laughs> <laughs> so many things um but it also makes me me and it makes us us yeah yeah which I love and I also love that what you are doing too is yes you're talking about specific things whether it's body image or even relationships but you're also just you you're Mary and you're showing yourself to the world just as you are and I think that is also so healthy for people especially recovering perfectionists who are like well because I made cookies my only value and worth is <laughs> and therefore if I don't if I do something else then you know you start judging yourself and self-criticism comes out and I think you when you look at what you're creating there's so much freedom within that and that's inspiring other people that it's okay to change and we don't have to stay in these um, perfect molds that we have given ourselves. Um, and I think that is really important too. A part of the process is um, allowing yourself to change and be different. And um, when you do get good at something or perfect something, there's always room to learn something new. And I think that's really wonderful and a wonderful message that um, I have definitely taken away from your page. Oh my goodness. Thank you so much. What's funny is I like totally don't feel that way because I recently had a fear of like, oh, well, if I like stop talking about body image or if I want to talk about more things like, you know, confidence beyond body image or self-esteem or 
self-worth or like relationships or sexuality, like all these different topics that I've been diving into, I feel like it's like up and down. Like sometimes it's very well received and then other times it's just like totally pushed back. Um, so thank you for that. I definitely have struggled with that, but it just, I guess it shows, it really does show me that sometimes like what we see as our greatest or as our weakness is actually what somebody else sees as a strength. So thank you so much for that kind of acknowledgement. Yes, of course. And I had that, I had the experience when I was doing, I mean, I was making these French macaron videos and I had gained so much in my audience just from those videos that I was so nervous because I fell out of love with it. And I was so nervous to switch directions and um, try new things because I was like, what if nobody follows me or likes me? Blah, blah, blah. Um, <laughs> and, and then it's so much more rewarding when you do change and you realize that the people who are meant to stay are the ones who are part of your path too. Yeah. And, um, and that makes your community that much deeper. And, um, and I think that it's part of the excitement about being human too, is changing mm-hmm. and, um, and trying new things out, seeing what works, seeing what doesn't. And I'm excited for you. I feel like your next chapters are going to be really new, fresh and exciting. Thank you. Thank you so much. And I was thinking like, I'd rather have other people like strangers on the internet, not like me, than live with not liking myself. Like I've been there. I've done that. I don't want to go there again. Um, So like every time I just have that like little reality check, that reminder that comes from within, that's like, if you're not being authentic and true to yourself and talking about what you want to talk about and not talking when you don't want to talk if that makes sense because sometimes I'm like I have to post something um like that just makes me not like myself like I just I'm not happy with who I am when I feel it coming from like you said fear like the only two things that we can feel are either fear or love and it has to come from one or the other so if it's not love then it's probably fear yes yes it's true. And it's like when you when you put it into categories, you're like, oh, that should be easy. And it's not. There's so many nuances. There's so many situations that are new. You're like, how do I deal with this? This isn't something I've experienced before. And, um, and that's why I think having these conversations and having people like you talk about it on social media, it really just opens people up to it, one, but also gives people a sense of support. And you know, say what you want about social media. I definitely have mixed thoughts on it sometimes, but I have found so much support from social media when I was going through challenging times that Mm -hmm. I just know that if I can relay messages that had helped me, that they might help someone else, then I just find, you know, getting to that category of love, getting to that space of love becomes that much more um, helpful. Yeah, me too. Social media has been beautiful for me and a lot of what I've learned have been has been from social media, from following inspiring individuals. And I also love seeing you in my feed and on my stories. I love the recent influx of videos that you've been doing. Those have been giving me life because well, A, I love your voice, B, I love your face, and C, I love you. So there's that. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, that's one of those things that is is tricky to start doing but then once you do it it the fear is taken away most of the times when you actually do the thing there's yeah. the 
been leading up to it, but then you do it and you're like, oh, okay. That wasn't scary. Oh yeah. And you feel like total badass because you're like, that was fine. Like I did it. Totally. I did it. And I think the fear for me comes sometimes when I'm like, oh, I have to like keep doing it. Mm. <laughs> I have um, this fear of, I don't know exactly what I would label it as, but um, maybe the consistency of everything because mm-hmm. I know my creative cycles are so they ebb and flow like everybody's, but um, to, for me to be like, okay, I'm going to post this time all the time stresses me out sometimes because yeah. I'm, what if I'm not feeling creative then and I just need to take a break. And, and so I'm still navigating that because I think a little bit of both is helpful, right? To yeah. be accountable on your audience and show up for your audience, but also know that you can support your cycles and your, um, your ebbs and flows of your creative journey and process. So I'm still navigating that, but something I do talk a lot about on my feed is just rest and how being in a state of rest has really helped me in my creativity because um, I'm able to be in a clear state and I don't have to always be doing to feel creative. Like I can just be in a really restful energy and get my inspiration and kind of my Zen on before I actually go to make the thing. um, So yeah, I think there's this element of finding, like you talk about the harmony, not necessarily balance, just trying to find, you know, the right amount of this and that to sort of get you Mm -hmm. where you want to be and feel comfortable in. I like it better how you phrase it, like the right amount of this and that. That's exactly what harmony is. It's not about being in, perfect balance all the time Um, it just really is whatever you need in the moment and I love the recent conversations about rest because I have a lot of sleep shame and what I mean by that is I'm a sleeper I'm a sleeper inner I am one of those people that is grumpy when I get woken up I am not a person that jumps out of bed at 6 a.m like really excited to start the day and go for a workout or whatever that looks like that just is not me it's never been me And I feel so ashamed about it because I'm like, oh, I have so much work to do and I have to, it has to get done in the morning and all this stuff. So whenever I sleep in even the slightest bit, like past nine o'clock and I'm just feeling like bad about myself. Um, And yeah, it's like not a good feeling, but then I'm like, who came up with this idea of like no sleep? <clears throat> like sleep is for the week. You can sleep when you're dead. Like that is so horrible. There are so many studies that show that, like rest is everything sleep is longevity and that we get to rest before we're tired because when you're tired it's like drinking water right like if you already feel yourself being thirsty you're probably already dehydrated so like drink water throughout the day right so yeah I love those yes rest has truly changed my life I'm like you I've always been a huge sleeper and a napper I love naps and Actually, naps really help me split up my day too, where I'm like, okay, it's sort of like time blocking for me where I'm like, okay, this is what I can do or be in this period of time, nap, and then day two starts. Um, Mm -hmm. But I just find it so helpful to really, and I think for us who are overthinkers, when your brain is completely off when you're sleeping, it's like so refreshing because if you get to that state of um, not thinking, Sometimes you're like, okay, I just need to zonk out because I need this full rest. And it helps me so much. I love napping. Oh, yeah. The brain uses the most energy. So 
Like I always tell my boyfriend that I think a lot. That's why I get tired. <laughs> it's true. It does use so much energy. And then you realize it's not like productive energy at all because you're going around in circles. Mm-hmm. You just, although I have to say like, I don't even set an alarm with my naps too. I will just sleep as long as I want. Um, and I mean, I love it, but it could also, you know, be too much at times. <laughs> Yeah, there's a balance. And I think like, you know, I had to sleep till noon today to realize that I don't want to do that tomorrow. You know, right. well, <laughs> it's like realizing that nothing is going to last forever. And so yeah, bit of rest is going to, you know, next week, you could be more in, you know, a state of doing and then mm-hmm. just changes so quickly. And so just to sink into that space, of like, okay, this week, it's just asking me to rest or this day or this yep. moment. And, um, because I think our fear is like, oh, my, you know, my creative energy is not going to come back to me. I'm stuck in this place forever. And I think if we can just all be aware that no, nope, nothing, nothing lasts forever. That's um, true. Which is, you know, sometimes a hard pill to swallow sometimes. But if you can get in that state, then at least, you know, it just offers a deeper sense of trust in yourself and um, mm-hmm. sort of come. Yeah. And trusting your body, because especially as women, like we go through a lot of shit throughout the month, you know, yeah. like. Every week, every day is different. It's a lot less steady than a man. And I think that a lot of the research about, you know, perfect dieting or perfect amounts of sleep or perfect lifestyle, it's all been done on men. And like most of it hasn't been done on women who period and or menstruate and ovulate and um, serve and give to the community and just, yeah, Yeah. a lot of us exhaust ourselves for the sake of other people. So of course there's going to be times in our life that we're going to need more rest it's just so it's so normal and matter of fact but it's been such a loaded thing it's true it's true and it's been you know almost tricky I think for people to tap into that space of rest because it also brings up a lot of the internal stuff that has sort of been buried down um but I have to say it's always so worth it you know going through it might suck but the coming Mm -hmm. out is always so worth it Yeah. Amen, sister. Okay. So I want to ask you one more question and then I want to let everybody know where to find you. So my last question is, do you think healing is a lifelong journey? That's a great question. I, I kind of see it in, in, in two ways a little bit where I'm like, yeah, we're always going to be healing. We're always going to be learning new things about ourselves and moving through deeper layers of ourselves. But I also see that, you know, we do get to a space where we have not necessarily healed everything, but we learn that we have always been whole from the beginning and Mm -hmm. it's not broken. We're just trying to kind of, it's almost like we're polishing off ourselves. Like there is a lot of dust that got on us and dirt and we're just trying to like give ourselves a nice polish. So, so I guess my answer is a little confusing, but I just think that we're constantly going to be learning. I definitely know that we're constantly going to be learning and growing, but I think with healing, I think we do get to a space where we're just understanding that we've always, we've always been enough and we've always been whole and having that awareness of it and sort of embodiment of it is it it brings the healing to your soul. And then from there, you get to just operate from a space of um, 
hopefully unconditional love and compassion for yourself and you continue to learn and to grow. Um, because I always love when Oprah asks, she says, can we learn as much from the joy as we can from pain? And I think, yes, I think that we don't always have to learn from the pain. I, I think it can be a great teacher, but I think a shift in a mindset to be like, hey, universe, I want to learn from laughing so hard with my friends. Teach me through mm -hmm. that. And so I think we can actually shift our healing experience into a more positive one that is not seen as like the suffering and the pain and the illness. Um, and we can move to a space of, um, yeah, more ease. Because I'm always trying to find the path with a lot of ease. Mm -hmm. You literally just turned my world upside down. Oh. We can learn just as much from joy as we can to pain. I'm one of those people that's pretty attached to my pain. Yeah. Um, and I'm working on that. I actually just discovered that last night in my breathwork meditation class. Um, and wow, it feels like you said, I mean, it doesn't feel like you 100% said the exact thing that my meditation guide told me yesterday that you need to let go you're so attached to your pain and to feeling pain and to to learning from pain you know as if that there's no other way to grow yeah yeah and that's so awesome just to have that awareness of it because now you will start to notice more moments where you're learning and the joy just having the awareness sort of ushers it in uh, yeah thank you so much meg where can we learn more from you and about you and where can we find you yes thank you thank you for including this so you can find me on social media on instagram at nutmeg and honeybee and then i'm on youtube as well i've created some more content over there and that's just my name meg roscoe and then if you're curious about coming to an embroidery workshop and getting to sort of craft in person, you can find information on my website, which is nutmegandhoneybee.com. And that's where I am online. And I'm in San Diego. So maybe I'll bop into you on the street somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> I wish I could bump into you on the street somewhere. But I can't wait to come out in San Diego. Like that was. It was such a good time when we met up in person. It was fantastic. I, I agree so much. And more to come. Yes, more to come, more. I just, I'm so excited about what you're creating and what we're both creating and how it's intersecting. And we're just meeting really cool people on, along the way. And we're, we're making connections and we're helping each other with the connections we're making. And it just feels so, so wonderful to be in community seriously like literally if it wasn't for the your event that you invited me to I wouldn't have met Brooke your event planner and I wouldn't be planning an event in Phoenix because I was so inspired by what you were doing um and I was just thinking like even the simple little thing of like showing my little sister your page I don't think I would have been like as compelled to be like I need to meet this girl right now if my sister and I didn't spend one hour going through your entire Instagram <laughs> <laughs> so I'm so grateful for that I'm so grateful for you and your energy like I just knew you were one of the most amazing human beings the second I met you and it's been an honor to get to know you and I can't wait for a relationship to grow even more me too thank you so much Mary I feel the same way about you I'm so very grateful and thank you to social media too to yes together the power <laughs> of connection there is yep awesome too. Thanks, Mark. Shout out to you, Mark. <laughs> <laughs>
I'll do lots. <laughs> okay. Well, thank you so much, everybody, for listening. And until next time. Bye. Bye, Meg. Bye.